And um, so let's, let's go ahead and let's jump into the message. Philippians 4, we'll start at verse 10. And Paul says this to the church in Philippi. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Um, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. So he's talking to this church that he, he helped start in um, 50 A.D., and right now, Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome. He's in prison because he has been sharing about Jesus across the Roman Empire. He's, he was always getting into a bind for doing the will of God. So sometimes doing the will of God is not as uh, blissful as we may think. Sometimes doing the will of God will get you into a lot of trouble. Amen. And so he was in prison, but he's writing his most joyous letter to the church in Philippi in 62 A.D., so this is about a 12-year relationship that's just been maturing. And he says, you've always been concerned about me. And he says this here in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I, have, um, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Such a powerful verse here. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty. With plenty or little. For I can do, here's the key, here's the secret. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Right? Even so, even though I can do everything through Christ, watch this. You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Right, so this church has been very consistent with supporting Paul for over 12 years now. This is where we're going to really lean into during this message. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones, the only ones, someone say only. only. You're the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. So Philippi is a city in a province called Macedonia, kind of like a state. And um, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy would help to start that church through a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a very wealthy woman who believed in God, but she didn't know Jesus. So she believed in Yahweh, but she didn't know Christ. Paul shared the gospel with Lydia in her household. And from her living room, the church of Philippi started. And so very organic work of God, supernatural work of God. And um, he's, he's just saying, like, ever since that whole thing started, you guys have been helping me out financially. Then he says this here, no other church did this. So you kind of, you see the only and you see the no other. It's kind of like some healthy competition going on here. Because Paul started a lot of churches. And so he's just saying that you guys are a step above the rest in terms of generosity and what you give. And, um, and, and so like, uh, and we know that this is the word of God. So it's also God speaking through him telling the church that you guys have actually been doing a phenomenal job in your generosity. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. So there's quantity, more than once. You didn't just send an offering one time, but you've been frequent over 12 years. You, you've been faithfully tithing, faithfully giving, faithfully sending leaders to me to see if I'm doing okay. He said, you sent help more than once. And I love this part. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. This is the deal. Your generosity has nothing to do with the church. That's good. Or the people you give to. 
Your generosity has everything to do with you and God. And what God wants to do in and through your life. So Paul is saying, I don't want anything. I've learned how to live with nothing. I've learned how to be rich and poor. I have Christ. But I will acknowledge that you all have done a phenomenal job in being generous. Okay. And so, um, and so in 2017, um, my wife and I, we were invited to a conference at a church in, in D.C. Um, and the lead pastor of this particular conference was Mark Batterson. Um, he, he pastors NCC uh, in Washington, D.C. Show of hands, Mark Batterson. Um, he's a great author, great writer. He wrote a book called Circle Maker, Whisper. He has a lot of books. Phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Uh, they've been in the D.C. area for almost 30 years, serving the Lord faithfully. A lot of senators and, and baseball players and football players. It's, it's a phenomenal church. They, they, go, they go to NCC. And so in the green room, um, we were sitting, and he, we, you know, we introduced ourselves. And he asked me, he said, so what about your story? How, how did your church start? And so I'm like, number one, Mark Patterson, he's it's like a hero. And so I'm, I'm like, man, this is Mark Patterson. I can't believe you're asking about me. It's like if you were to meet your favorite celebrity, right? Like it, it, it was kind of like that. So I'm like shaking in my knees like, uh, um, I'm Joshua. And so, but I said, well, you know, we moved from Florida and New York and we converged to Maryland and we started with this many people and we started with this much in our, in our bank account and, and blah, you know, the whole, the whole spill, the whole story, because they too had very humble beginnings there in DC. I think as a matter of fact, they had 25 people on their first Sunday in CC. You, you couldn't recognize them now based on their beginning. But, um, and so at the end of that, he, he, he said, wow, that's an amazing story and move of God. And he said, I want to be a part of that story. He said, I want to invest in, in what it is that God is doing through Highlight Church. And so we exchanged uh, information, and um, that was in the summer. And so through the fall and through the win- winter, we were consistent. And uh, one day we went to our P.O. box in the Kentlands and opened it up in December. And uh, there's this big black envelope. And so we opened that envelope, and y'all know that when you get an envelope... You know you ain't looking at the message. <laughs> You're checking to see if it's something in there. <laughs> it's real. They don't want to talk. Right? Is it? I know. The 9 o'clock treated me the same way. All right. But it's real. You're looking for that money, that check, that something, and it's like, oh, that's a nice note. And you put it Anyway, so I'm very grateful for any of your notes. All right, cool. But no. I mean, Paul even said you're the only one. So anyway, so here it is. So open it up. And I had never seen a check this big in my life, especially as it pertained to the ministry. And so I, I can't tell you anything about what Mark Batterson has said in any of his books. I've listened to a lot of his sermons. I can't tell you anything about what he said about three months ago in the last sermon I listened to. But I can tell you how his generosity made me feel. Right? Because we don't remember what people said. As much as we remember, go ahead and write this down, how they made us feel, right? And, and, and so Paul, the reason why this is Paul's most joyous letter, because we've been saying that all series, is because the church of Philippi has been that, that, that glimmer of hope. You know, he's going into new cities, and if you read in Corinthians, Paul was beaten, Paul was shipwrecked, Paul was in prison multiple times. 
But every time he get caught in a bind, he turn around and look. Someone would visit his cell and say, hey, here's a bag. Here's a coat. Here's your parchment. Here's some finances. Where is it from? It's from the church in Philippi. So the reason it's his most joyous letter is because they've been consistent in their giving. And this is what I love about the church in Philippi. They never assumed that Paul was okay. Oh, he's up there preaching. That's so good. His family is okay. Right? They, they teach us. They pray for us. They lead us. They're okay. Let me tell you something. Typically, it's the leader that has the most need. Because it's the leader that's carrying the most weight. It's the leader that's being crushed by God's call, which is a good call, in the demands and the needs of the people. So the reason why it's Paul's most joyous letter is because this was one church out of the many who act like a grown adult or grown child. The rest of them were always pulling at Paul. Where is Paul? When are you coming back? When are you go feed us? When are you go give us the next sermon? When are you go do this? They were the ones who were saying, Paul, we know you're tired. We want to feed you. We want to be a part of the ministry. We don't just want to receive the ministry. So this is why it was his most joyous letter. And so Paul is writing and he's expressing his gratitude. Watch this. He always needed financial assistance, but he never requested it, nor did he ever require it. Right? And so they were the only church to do it. And as they supported Paul, more people heard about Jesus across the Roman Empire. And so I was studying and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to ask yourself this question and uh, present it to the church as well. Ask yourself this. What will people say about me at my funeral? What will people say about me at my funeral? And I'll be honest, I, I don't want people to lie. I've been to a lot of funerals. People get up in God's pulpit. They've never been up in that pulpit before, but they're about to shine and they go lie for how good of a man Uncle was. Uncle was sorry. Uncle was sorry. Uncle was selfish. Uncle would cuss you out in a heartbeat. Well, you know, my uncle is a good man. You don't want people to lie for you now. You, you don't want that. Right. What will people say about me at my funeral? Right. Will, will they say I was a, a, great, a great spouse? Will they say, I, man, that, he was a great, faithful father. She was an amazing mother. She was a faithful servant in the kingdom of God. I never did the church thing, but I admire her faith. Right? What will they say about you at your funeral? I think you got to live through that filter. It's important that we, we wake up to it. That, that, that what people say about us at our funeral is determined by how we're living today. Yes, sir. It just is. And I don't want anyone to, to lie about me. I want people to say he was caring. Yeah. I want people to say he was generous. Yeah. I want people to say he, he, he challenged me, and had he not challenged me, I wouldn't have stepped into my potential. I want people to say, yeah, I want people to stand behind that pulpit and say, yeah, Pastor, Pastor would rebuke you in a minute. But he was getting my life right. right. Yeah. 
I had friends all around me wouldn't tell me what was wrong about me. I'd go to church, pastor would tell me. I'd go home and pray and have to assess that part of my life, and I would get free, right? Right, you want people, to, what, do you, what do you want people to say, right? Now, I think, if, go with me here. I think if Paul had to, had to bury all of these members at one time in Philippi, I think he would say this. I think he would say that they were generous, they were caring, they were loving, they were strong, they were supportive. I think most importantly, he would say they were generous. Because this is what I've come to find out. is that my life, go ahead and write this down, my life and your life will be defined by what I gave. Your life will be defined not by what you have, not by what you accumulated, but by what you gave. People aren't going to stand behind the pulpit and say, man, those three houses they had, one in Florida, one in New York, one in California. Oh, my God, they were amazing houses. And I got to say those amazing cars that they own or that salary that they made or that degree that they, they are not going to say that. No. They're going to say, this is how they made me feel. Yep. Wow. This is how they led. This is how they treated me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I can be honest, even Jesus won't care about what you achieved. Come on now. Because watch this. God is not impressed by our achievements. God is not impressed by our salary. God is not impressed by our home. You know why? Because he gave it all to us. (laughs) He gave it all to us. (laughs) He gave us the mind. He gave us the breath. He gave us the strength. He gave us the gifts. He gave us the talent. There's nothing that I'm impressed by that my kids own. Not impressed. Because I bought them. (laughs) I'm not impressed. Oh, that's a great PlayStation. Awesome. Cost me a. <laughs> but what I am impressed by is when they share. What what I gave. That's what moves me. That's what moves me. What 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 God and Paul was moved by was I came in and I shared the gospel. And now as you support me, and I move into the next city, I can share the gospel again. Right. So if, if I came in and you got saved, you got redeemed, you got set free, you found a community, right. you found strength, right? Now share that and pay it forward to the next city. That, that's, that's what God, come on now, that, that's, what, that's what moves God. It's not what we have, it's what we gave. And honestly, that's the key to success. You want to be at the top of the industry? Be generous. You want to be... The leader, be the most generous person in the company. You want a promotion? Be generous. Serve. Serve. And so, and so I, I want to give you two questions that I want to encourage you to filter your life through from this Sunday on out, right, as you build a spirit and a heart of generosity. Two questions, okay? Very simple message today. Number one, live your life through this one question. What does God want? What does God want? Um, when, when people ask me, Pastor Josh, how did you step into ministry or why? Right? Because I, I was on the um, precipice of applying for medical, medical school. And um, I knew deep down in my heart, I wanted to be a physician. I, that was my plan. That was my plan. That was, I had my plan. I had my my preference. I knew what I wanted to do. But if I could be honest, I found the most joy in teaching the Bible. 
and seeing light bulbs go off. My, my first Bible study that I led was in, in my wife's living room, in my mother-in-law's living room. About four or five people came, and then it started to grow. And, and so I saw a gift, and, and there was, I was encouraged by the fact that people were coming to Christ. Their lives were being completely changed. Deep down in my heart, I wanted to be a pastor. But I couldn't see how I was going to make a living from doing it. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to med school because doctors make way more money than pastors, right? But I had to come to this place where I asked God, but Lord, I want your will, not my will. And I know I don't have an uncle or dad or granddad passing me down a church, but Lord, I believe that you can do the impossible. So January of 2012, I went on a 21-day fast, as we always do. And I just had one question for 21 days. I said, God, what do you want? I'm done with what I want. I'm done with what I want in this relationship. I'm done with doing what I want to do with my body. I'm done with doing what I want to do with my time, with my finances. Because I know that the best and the safest place to be is in the center of what you want, not what I want, right? So by day 10, the Holy Spirit met me in prayer, met me in prayer. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He met me in prayer and, and peace filled me. And the spirit of God said this. He said, he said, trust me with your life. I've called you into vocational ministry. I know you can't see it. I know you don't know how to get there. I know you don't fully understand what I'm doing, but trust me with your life. Right. So put all the medical stuff to the side, get yourself a full time job and I'm going to start this process in your life. And it was day 10 where I got that peace where I stepped into what God wanted. And and since that day, this is what happens when when you really give your life, not just this Jesus save me and I'm going to heaven. No, Uh, God got 50 years before you die. What are you doing those next 50 years? Like when you really give your life to God, what begins to happen is that heaven will open over your life. Heaven will open over your life. And, and, and the reason why heaven and favor will open over your life is because God now knows that he can trust you with heaven's resources. Because no longer is blessing going to stop with you because it's not about you anymore. But God knows that now I can trust him and her with blessing. And so now I can give them leadership. Now I can give them influence. Now I can give them opportunities. Now I can give them favor with man because they're going to be selfless when they do get it. And so you need to wake up every single day, especially my believers from here on out. God, what do you want? What do you want? Write, write, write these things down. You, you got to wake up every day. Father, because he's a father. He's father before he's Lord. Father, wh- what do you want me to say today? Let him be Lord of your tongue. James says if a man can control his tongue, he can control his life. This small thing controls everything. So, Father, what do you want me to say to my parents, to my supervisor, to my coworkers? How do you want me to encourage today? Number two, Father, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to be? Not where I want to be. We're talking about the lordship of Jesus. Most of us are cool with the salvation, the savior part. He is Lord as well. Like a a Lord means that I have no say in 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 the matter. And this is a kingdom that we serve. So this is not a democracy. So when the king tells me to do something, I do it. 
And that's the best place for me. Yes. Well, Lord, I want to, I want to, it ain't going to work no more. Lord, I want a divorce. Hold on. Before, before you go there, God, what do you want? Yeah. Am I called to serve this man for the rest of my life? There's no adultery. There's no abuse. We just, we just have some differences. Lord, what do you want? And when you begin to ask God what he wants, he can start the process of changing their hearts. But, but when you're getting in God's way, there's always going to be some bickering and some fighting and some, Lord, what, where do you want me to be? Lord, here it is. Write this down. Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do with my money? This is random, but I got to give it to you. God gave it to me yesterday. He said that, that tithing does not save you from money mismanagement. So a lot of you are tithing and you're wondering why you're still struggling financially. Because you're not honoring the biblical principle of a budget. And because your budget is out of whack, you're not tithing. Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? Because it's yours. I want people to always say, he did what God wanted him to do. I didn't like it, but he did what God wanted him to do. That's the kind of life you want to live. And it's so countercultural right now. It's so countercultural. To walk across the aisle politically and to reason, if you're a Republican, to reason with a Democrat, to reason with a Republican. But Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Bless them. God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to demonize people. What do you want me to do? No, y'all ain't here. I'll go back on vacation. I'm playing. I love y'all. Paul says this, Philippians 4.18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. Here it is. I love this. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus almost died trying to get these gifts to Paul. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable. Watch this. And pleasing to God. Go ahead and write this down. What you give in faith pleases God. It's a sacrifice. But when you give it in faith, it pleases the Lord. When you give your time... When you, when you give your talents, when you give your treasure, it's pleasing to the Lord. The second question I want you to filter your life through as we build a spirit of generosity is number two. Am I going the extra mile? Am I going the extra mile? There's a new phrase out there right now. Um, and it was uh, conceived through TikTok. It's called, um, I don't know if you can raise your hand if you heard about it, uh, quiet quitting. Okay, a little bit more people this go around. Quiet quitting. So I'm glad the church is getting out in front because eventually you're going to hear about it, right? And if you're not careful, it can get on the inside of you. So the reason why God revealed it to me is because he wants to prepare you, right? Um, So quiet quitting is this idea that your career or your eight to five is causing life imbalance, and it's undermining your physical health, your emotional health, and your mental health. All right, so people are not quitting. They're not going to the boss and saying, I'm done or I quit. But they're quiet quitting. So they're showing up to work, but they're not there mentally or emotionally. So they're only showing up to do what's on their job description. 
So if I have 10 things on my, my job description, that's what I'm going to do. And, and, and if, if that means that there's a piece of trash on the floor, unless it's on my job description, I'm not picking up that trash. Or unless I have to be nice to this customer, I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to simply, you know, you know, stock and I'm going to cashier and I'm going to do the reports. I'm not going to go beyond what is on my job description. So nothing more. But as I'm studying this, the Holy Spirit told me in my studies, he said that that is abnormal for the Christian. Because when you're a believer, you have the spirit of God in your heart. And there's nothing about Jesus that was minimal or that just stopped at just enough. Christ went above and beyond in everything that he did, right? In his shedding of, the, of his blood on the cross, when he healed people as he was raising the dead, as he was performing miracles, he always went above and beyond. So, so watch this. Let us not be the people who quiet quit. Let, let us be those who ask every single morning in my home, am I going the extra mile? Right? In my parenting, am I going the extra mile? In my career, am I going the extra mile? As a child under the roof of my parents who are feeding me, who are protecting me, who are clothing me, am I going the extra mile? Let us be those kind of people. And I'll tell you why it's important. Because if we're not, if we're not, our standard of living will suffer. And we can say all we want about America, but there's still no nation in the world like America. But the enemy is unraveling this nation with a spirit of apathy and laziness and a lack of passion and a lack of care. There's no longer ownership on the job. It's just, I'm doing my job, pay me. Versus saying, the reason I want this job is because I believe in the mission of the organization. But he, he's, come on now. He's, 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 mm, he's doing it everywhere. He's doing it in our homes. He's doing it in, in, our, in our workplaces. He's doing it in our schools. And before you know it, we won't even have a nation. Our walls will be down. And the enemy's going to move in like a roaring lion. But let us not be the people who quiet quit. Am I going the extra mile? For example, um, my wife was tired yesterday. I was tired. But y'all, she was tired. She was tired. I was tired, but she was more tired. So now I have a decision to make. Because we have laundry everywhere. And there's no peace in the house when laundry is everywhere. Right? 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 When, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. When the dishes need to be washed, there's no peace in the house. And all she wanted to do was lay in the basement and be comfortable and watch her shows. So now I have a decision to make. And so I allow the fact that I am saved, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, and I've been gifted by the Spirit of God to filter my thoughts and how I feel about the situation. And that right now, though I'm tired, my wife is more tired. So I have everything I need to go the extra mile. Right? 
So, so th- this tells me right here. Now, it doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is am I asking two questions? God, you're trying to establish peace before Sunday. Number one, what do you want me to do? My baby needs to rest. Number two, am I going the extra mile in my mentality right now? The spirit said, you've done right by asking me what I want. But in this current moment, you're not going the extra mile. If you decide to, I'll give you the strength. If you decide to, I'll give you the strength. I got up. And what I had to do, though, is I had to time block it. Because it's, it's one of my biggest, I hate clothes. <laughs> my wife knows this, baby. You know this. You know, I'll wash dishes. I'll vacuum. I'll do the bathrooms. Clothes. I mean, I love wearing them, but I hate doing it. <laughs> and you can tell them. I, I hate doing them. So I said, okay, from 12 to 4 p.m., I'm going to do all the clothes. And, and, and I did. But I'm just saying, like, let us be the people that ask, am I going the extra mile? Am I, am I going the extra mile? And I'll give you a few examples. All right, but my servant, watch this, Caleb isn't like the others. Someone say that. Someone say others. others. Mm. So because he has faith in me. See, your faith should drive your action. We got faith in the God of the universe, right? It, it, it should drive us to action. He, he created the universe. Like, he, he's always working. It should drive. I allow him. He said, I will allow him to cross into Canaan, and his descendants will settle there. This tells me something, that my passion has generational implications. Because Caleb is one of uh, 12 spies. And so Joshua and Caleb pressed into their belief in God. They were willing to do the work. They were willing to be excellent. They were willing to go the extra mile. And so God says, because they are not like the others, the other 10, the majority, who are going to cause 2 million people to die in the wilderness, because they are not like the others, he will settle in the land and so will his descendants. So now that, 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 that begs the reason why the Spirit is asking me to ask God, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And am I going the extra mile? Because everything I do is being important parted into my kids spiritually and I haven't even met my grandbabies but I love them with all my heart it's not just about you wanting to take a nap or having another drink it's about your babies and your baby babies and it has generational implications his descendants will settle there then we just sing it in the song, Faithful God Generations. Which one? Is it Firm Foundation? Or is it God Everywhere I Go? It's Firm Foundation. He's a God of generations. And I'm 35 right now. And like, I'm like, dang, it felt like I graduated high school yesterday. <laughs> I still feel like I'm 18. Like, I, I feel good, you know. But, but before you know it, I'll be 70 and I'll be welcoming my grandbabies into the world. So what kind of husbands will they be? And it will be largely based on what they see their dad doing the home. Uh, y'all here? Come on now. They're already trying to dress like me. 
Jay, Jay we're at ten and a half now, y'all. Okay. And I, I dreaded the day that that day would come. He, he, he is here. He, uh, I was brushing my teeth. He walked in the bathroom. Dad, you got some no-show socks? I'm like, yeah, I got one pair and you can't have them. I'm like, dang it. I don't even think about no-shows, man. No-show socks. And, so, and, and he thinks he's taller than me, but he ain't. It's his hair, y'all. It's his hair. It's, um, mine's a shorter. It, it ain't growing no more. We've been growing it for the same amount of time. <laughs> Daniel soon showed that he could do better. Someone say better. better. Mm-hmm. There's God again. He's, now he's talking about quality. Right? At first it was quantity. More than once. Right? You're the only church. Now he's talking about quality. Better. Right? Then the other supervisors and, or governors. Because, and there's always a result of you being excellent. Come on. Right? Right? Yes. right? Because Caleb was not like the others, he will inherit. Right? You see this? And because he was so outstanding. Someone say outstanding. outstanding. That's quality. Right? And if you switch it around, you get the meaning. He what? Stood out. Right? The king considered putting him in charge of the whole empire. There's nothing, it is not natural for a Christian to quiet quit. So if you find yourself in this, this cycle of apathy and just wanting to do just enough, you ought to be at morning prayer tomorrow. That's good. That's good. You need some deliverance. You need some deliverance. I'll go as far as saying this. God will not speak to you about your future until you get passionate about your presence. He won't. He won't. Right? God, what are you calling me to do? What's my job? What's my career? What's my purpose? Clean these dishes right now. Do that with a lot of passion. And while you're washing dishes, I'll speak to you. But how am I going to trust you with a big dream if I can't trust you with some? Even when I was in Thessalonica, he was getting beat up and he went to prison here. You sent help more. Someone say more. More, more than once. Come close me out, Jason. Mm-hmm. And so this is why, guys. It's because this. Follow me here. This is why they were so generous. Paul came and their lives were changed. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. Because it's very simple but extremely profound. Paul came and their lives were changed. It's kind of like when Jesus came. And if you read in like Mark, uh, think chapter 9, this father uh, had a boy who was possessed by an unclean spirit. And that unclean spirit was a suicidal spirit. Suicide is a demonic spirit. And so you can imagine this, this man, this father, struggling all of his child's life with this issue. Nine, ten years, you put a number on it. And Jesus is on his typical ministry tour, walking the villages, walking the Sea of Galilee, walking the road. And this father comes and he says, Lord, he has this spirit. It throws him in the fire. It throws him in the water. It... And Jesus said, for how long... Has he had this struggle? He said, as of a child. 
as far back as we can remember, since he was three, four, he's had this tendency to harm himself. And so Jesus looked at the boy, called the unclean spirit out. The spirit shook the boy, threw him on the ground, left and departed the boy. Jesus lifted him by the hand and the boy was completely made new. Now, you tell me this. Do you think that father was ever the same? When it came to his gratitude and his heart of generosity towards the things of God. I don't think he was ever the same. I'm almost certain he financed Jesus' ministry after that. So this is the deal. God sent Paul here. And Paul, when you came here, I was an addict. I was depressed. I was alone. I didn't know God. But Paul, when you shared that gospel, and when you prayed, and when you taught, and I gave my life to Jesus, and things started to get in order practically for my life. God sent you here. Now I want to do my job and play my part in sending you there to the next city. Because if we needed you, they need you. So, 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 and this is the deal, Paul. Write this down. I don't have to go the extra mile. I get to go. You don't have to. We can hoard all of God's blessings. This great church service, these great relationships, these great groups, these, we can, this great word. We can keep this word to ourselves, not share the podcast, not share YouTube with anybody. We can hoard it or we can see it all as a gift. And we can look back a little bit and say, man, when I first started coming to this church, I didn't have friends. I, but now I'm growing in my faith and no, things aren't perfect, but I'm stronger. This is all a gift from God. My kids are a gift from God. My job is a gift from God. My church is a gift from God. I don't have to go the extra mile. That's good. That's good. But I, I get to serve. I get to give. I get to go to work tomorrow. I get to support my family. I get to raise my kids. It's all a gift from God. I get to. I get to such a paradigm shift I get to be married to this woman I get to be his father I get to be his father it's the joy of my life we get to be here today there are some people who in other nations they wish they could gather but for fear of death or being arrested they can't we get to be in church so I get it. Someone may have drugged you here today. You get to be here. That's right. That's right. Paul says this, Philippians 4, 17. He says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Brother, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So, so, so this week, guys, we, we get to feed the homeless and we get to serve teenage mothers they're going to be right here in our lobby later this week 
Thank you. Y'all going to be doing some, some great things, makeup and doing their nails and praying for them, connecting with them, these teenage mothers who need to know Jesus. You get to be a part of that. Right? We get to honor our law enforcement. We need our law enforcement. Right? We, we get to go and um, improve a building where, where victims, uh, victims of domestic violence come to find rest and a new beginning and a fresh start. We get to go and paint. We get to go and clean up. We get, we get to go and pray over where they meet. We get to. You don't have to. I'll tell you, when you do, God is in heaven. He's like, you are the only church. <laughs>